Good morning. Welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. This morning, we're going to be preaching out of 1 Chronicles chapter number 26. And it would seem that in the Word of God, that He has dedicated an entire chapter to these people He calls the Porter. We're going to talk about these porters today. And the title of the message this morning is Hey Porter. Please enjoy. And First uh, Chronicles chapter number 26. If you have your places in the Word of God and you're physically able, one last time I'm going to ask you to stand in respect and reverence to the Word of God as we read the Scripture. We're going to begin reading this morning in verse number 1 of First Chronicles chapter number 26. <clears throat> Concerning the divisions of the porters of the Korites was Meshelamiah, the son of Cori, the sons of Asaph. Skip down to verse number six, because there's a lot of names there I don't like pronouncing. Verse number six, also unto Shemaiah his son were sons born that ruled throughout the house of their father. For they were mighty men of valor, the sons of Shemaiah, Othni, and Raphael, Obed, Elzebab, and uh, whose brethren were strong men, Elihu, and Shemachiah. All these of the sons of Obed-Edom, they and their sons and their brethren, able men for strength for the service, were threescore and two of Obed-Edom. The title of my message this morning is, Hey Porter. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for all you've done for us today. Lord, I pray that you'd be with the message this morning. I pray the Holy Spirit would speak to hearts and minds today. Clear our thoughts of, uh, help us to think only of you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. In 1954, Johnny Cash and two of his bandmates walked in to do an audition for Sam Phillips. The song that they came in, of course, if you saw the movie, you know this, but the song that they came in to audition with uh, was, uh, I have it written down here, I forgot it. Uh, I was there when it happened. I love that song. It's one of my favorite gospel songs, I was there when it happened. And it wasn't that Sam Phillips was against gospel music. It was that he wanted something a little bit faster, a little more upbeat. Now, this, the true story differs from the movies because in the movies, They'll t in the movie, it told you that the song that they come up with was Folsom Prison Blues, and that was not correct. The actual song that they wrote for that Sam's Phillips audition was Hey Porter. It, that was the song. And if you go through the song Hey Porter, uh, what, it, what the song talks about is it talks about this military man, something that Johnny Cash knows something a little bit about. And it talks about this military man who's done with the service. He's on his way home, and so he's on a train ride back home. And he's so excited to get home that every two seconds he's asking the porter for an update. Hey, porter, how far, how long we got left? Hey, porter, what time is it? Hey, porter. And he keeps asking the porter all these questions because he's excited to get home. Now, a porter, when it comes to the song and when it comes to a train, a porter is someone who is a railroad employee, and what, uh, what their job is is to assist customers with luggage, anything that needs assistance. That's what a porter is uh, on, on a train car. Now, 1 Chronicles chapter number 26, this is really a stunning chapter in the Word of God. 
Why? Because it doesn't surprise you this morning that David would commit so much time to talk about these people that he calls porters. David said, hey, listen, when the temple is built, uh, let's make sure the porters get it right. Let's make sure that the doorkeepers do the job that they're supposed to do. And not only is it a little surprising that David would spend so much time talking about these people that he called the porters, but also that God would, would, uh, would dedicate an entire whole chapter in this Bible just talking about the porters. Don't you think if God does that, that the porters are a little bit more important than we might think they are? Porters are important. Porters in the Old Testament were very important. Uh, part of the jobs of the porters in the Old Testament was, was security. They were, uh, they were like the bouncers. And, and in fact, Numbers 3.10 tells us that if you went in the temple unlawfully, you did so at the risk of your own life because the porter would, would kill you if you went in there unlawfully. Not only that, but if there were troublemakers in the temple of God or around the gates that surrounded the temple, that was the porter's job to go and bounce those guys out of there. And, uh, you know, uh, and so it'd be like us putting McKenna at the door. And uh, so, you know, they were the porter, they were the bouncers, they were the guys, and they would bounce the troublemakers out, and, and, and that was their job. Not only were the porters do security, the porters would also do maintenance for the temple and for the tabernacle. You understand, as in the Old Testament, as the tabernacle went from place to place throughout the wilderness, that it was somebody's job to set that tabernacle up. It was somebody's job to take that tabernacle down. It was somebody's job to transport all the materials and all the poles and all the tents and all the canvas and all the ropes and all the nails and all the stakes. It was somebody's job to do that, and that job was the job of the porter. Not only would the porters transport the tabernacle itself, but the porters would also transport all the oils, all the spices, all the baked goods, all the breads for the sacrifices, all the furniture and furnishings at the tabernacle. It was the porter's job. They would take the, the curtains down. Being a porter was a lot of heavy lifting. Being a porter was uh, some back-breaking work. But you know what? That's what their job was. The Bible also tells us that porters handled some of the finances in the Old Testament. Now, we had priests. We had priests with their hats and their regal robes and the priests would stand in front of God and they would stand in front of the nation and it was the priest's job to do the sacrifice and once a year the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and sacrifice in there and that was their job and then you had the Levites who would do other, have other jobs and, and some of the Levites would sing glorious music in the, in the, in the house of God and, and that was their job. But you know what? Somebody had to roll up their sleeves. Somebody had to do the dirty work. Somebody had to do the heavy lifting. In the Old Testament, we called them porters. In the New Testament, we call them men. We call them men. 
Thank the Lord for ladies and for men that get busy serving God in a local church. And you say, well, Brother Brett, I've never preached a message. God did not call everybody to stand up and preach a message. Oh, Brother Brett, if I sang a solo, the church would empty out. God didn't call everybody to sing. God did not. I'm personally glad that God didn't specifically call pastors to, uh, to uh, do electrical work because I would have been unelectrocuted myself. I'm not very good with the old electricity there uh, but you know God didn't say everybody's got to preach God didn't say everybody's got to sing God didn't say everybody's got to teach a Bible class that's not what God said but what God did say moreover it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful what a special thing it is for a faithful man, for a faithful lady of God who serves the Lord. We call them in the New Testament church men, but in the Old Testament, they were called porters. Now this morning, as we look through 1 Chronicles 26 this morning, we're going to look at what most people would say, well, who really cares about these porters? Well, if God dedicated an entire chapter to the porters, I think God cares about the porters. And of course, we all know the famous verse in Psalms 84.10. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Who do you think that's talking about? That's talking about the porters. Porters matter to almighty God. So ladies, I'm going to tell you this morning, ladies, ladies, you've got the morning off. You've got the morning off this morning, ladies, because if Chesbro Baptist Church is going to be the church that God wants it to be, thank God for ladies serving the Lord. Thank God for ladies that are faithful to Him. But the backbone of this church is going to be men of God who stand up and join with their pastor like porters of old and say, give me a job to do and I will do it for Jesus Christ. Amen. That is going to be the backbone of our church. Let me roll up my sleeves and let me get the job done for the Lord. The porters were faithful men of God. May God raise up faithful men in Chesbro Baptist Church. There are three things I'd like to share with you this morning, two main things and three little things. And, and uh, the three things I want to show you this morning is, first I'd like to show you this morning, the Bible tells us, what God wants from his man. What God wants from his man. In 1 Chronicles 26, he describes these porters. These are the porters that do the mundane work. These are the porters that, that transport the furnishings. These are the porters that handle the finances. And as you make your way through 1 Chronicles 26... What you're going to notice is three things kind of rise up out of the text this morning. What kind of man does God want to use in his service? Look, if you would, in verse number six, the first description goes like this. Also unto Shemaiah, his son, were sons born that ruled throughout the house of their father, for they were mighty men of valor. Now, what a description of a man in the Old Testament, a mighty man of valor. What a description for a man today in Chesbro Baptist Church, a mighty man of valor. God didn't say, I need great singers. God didn't say, I need great preachers. God didn't say, I need multimillionaires. What God said is, I need mighty men of valor. 
Now, valor is a word that in our English language today in 2020, we hear the word valor and we think of bravery. And that is what the word means. We think of a soldier on the battlefield and he's got valor and he's got bravery. And while that is in the definition of the word valor, in the Old Testament, the word is a bigger word. It not only means brave men, but it also means men who were leaders. Men who who would uh, who uh, men who were leaders and men who would who had character and men of leadership. A a, a mighty man of valor says, "I am not only going to spend my life uh, serving the Lord, but I am going to encourage other men to serve God with me." These were porters and they were mighty men of valor. And no, they never got up and preached a great message. And, and no, they will never be king. They will never sit on the throne of Israel. And, and, and no, they're not the Levites that are going to get up and sing great and glorious, wonderful songs. Um, but you know what? You know what they were? They were just a blessing and an encouragement to other men to serve the Lord. You know, there's just something about a man in a local church that is an encouragement to others. We've all heard about the police officer that goes to the guy on the bridge, and the guy on the bridge was so negative, and he was so depressed, and he was about to jump off the bridge, and the police officer came to the guy and said, hey, take 10 minutes, talk to me for 10 minutes, and tell me what's wrong with your life. After 10 minutes of talking to the police officer, they both jumped off the bridge. And we, 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 we've met people like that today. Sometimes you're just, you're afraid to ask them how their day is going because you're afraid they might actually tell you. And they're just so pessimistic and they're just so down and they're just so negative and oh, woe is me and, 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 ever, and woe is me and, and what's wrong and they tell you what's going on. But you know, how different is it on Sunday morning when somebody walks into church and says, I have a responsibility to be an encouragement to other people. Let me tell you something. Men and ladies that walk through that door on Sunday morning, they've had enough headaches this week already. Men and ladies that walk through that door and come in here on a Sunday morning, they've had enough battles already. Men and ladies that walk through that church and come in here on Sunday morning, they've already had enough bad news. And what they need from people in this church is they need to be met with a smile. They need to be met with a word of encouragement. They need to be met with somebody who says, let's join our pastor and let's put let's step out by faith and do something great for God. The Bible tells us that these were not only brave men, but they were leaders. They were encouragers. They were men who encouraged other men to serve God as well. They were mighty men of valor. Now notice in verse number 30, the Bible repeats it. And of the Hebronites, Hashabiah and his brethren, men of valor. Verse 32. And his brethren, men of valor, were 2,700 chief fathers. But you know, it's interesting. You look up back in verse number 31, and it says, in the 40th year of the reign of David, they, they uh, were sought for, and there were found among the mighty men of valor at Jazir of Gilead. You know, the 40th year of David, you know what that is? That's David's last year. So what we have here is we have David as a 70-year-old man. 
What's interesting about this, about this King David in verse 70, is he in verse 31, is he's a 70-year-old man. He's got the gray hair. He, you know, his back was tired. His body is worn out. And what he needed then more than ever was mighty men of valor. You know, David had been at the top of his game for many for 40 years, and maybe David was kind of legendary, and maybe David, maybe they thought David could do anything. But man, as you go through David, you get here to the end, you get to David's 40th year. He says, "Man, I don't need a legend. What I need is some mighty men of valor." He needed them then more than ever before. You know, while I'm still young, relatively speaking, and just getting started, that won't stay that, won't stay that way forever. One day the red's going to start to turn white. I already know from my dad I'm not going to turn gray. Redheads turn white. And uh, I've already got some white hairs here and there. I like, to keep my, I like to keep my hair cut because when I let my hair grow out, you see more than more of the white hair. Uh, one day the hair's going to turn white. And one day, uh, one day Uncle Arthur's going to move into the house with me. You know, Uncle Arthur-itis. And uh, he's going to move into the house with me. And, uh, you know, but let me tell you something. That, you know, a preacher at that time needs mighty men of valor then more than ever before. And, you know, the longer I'm here at this church, Church, I don't need mighty men of valor less. I need mighty men of valor more. What your pastor needs this week more than he did last week was mighty men of valor. It's the same thing that a 70-year-old king of David needed in his 40th year. He need I need mighty men of valor now than I ever have before. And that's the same thing your pastor needs this morning. Let me tell you something, men. Let me tell you something about these porters. These porters, they were leaders. These porters, they had character. These porters were mighty men of valor. Now I want you to notice something else in verse number 7. There's, there's something else here. You know, these were not only mighty men of valor, but it says they were strong men. The verse says the sons of, she, of uh, Shemaiah, Othni, and Raphael, and Obed, Elzebab, whose brethren were strong men, Elihu, uh, Shemaiah. So what we have here is we have strong men. Now when it says here that they were strong men, it, it, it does mean that they were physically strong men. You understand these porters did all the heavy lifting. These porters did all the backbreaking work. And, and so you, but as you read through it, you get the idea that not only were these physically strong men, but these were spiritually strong men. These were spiritually strong. They were strong in character. These porters, they were pillars. They were rocks. They weren't going anywhere. And if David needed men like that back then, men who were pillars, men who were rocks, men who weren't going anywhere, man, do we need that even more? The need is even greater today. Because let me tell you something, because in, 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 in houses of religion all across this great countries of, uh, country of ours, we've got people up one day and down the next. 
Man, you've got somebody that comes in church one week and they're on fire for God and then you don't see them for the next four weeks. They drop off the face of the planet. Man, what happened? Of course, it shouldn't be surprising. The Bible does say in these times we'll have people blown about with every wind of doctrine and it'll be just one little breeze will come through and blow them on down the road and uh, they'll say, oh, Brother Brad, did you hear about the latest self-help book, self-help book on, uh, on, on Amazon? Did you hear what the latest blog has said on, on the internet? And, and did you hear what old, old, uh, old Reverend so-and-so said on the TV? Did, did you hear what he was preaching? And you know, it's amazing that people you thought were stronger, it just takes just a little wind of doctrine to blow them on down the road. Isn't that funny? And that's why we need strong men. Strong men isn't just people that have strong biceps like these. Uh, strong men are strong men who, who not only do the heavy lifting and do all those things in the tabernacles, but also they were rocks. They were pillars. They were men who said, I'm not going anywhere. You know, there's just something about a man in a local church that says, I'm not going anywhere. I don't care what you say. I don't care what happens. I don't care what's popular. I don't care what the blog is says. I don't care what the self-help book says. I don't care what the TV preacher says. I'm not going anywhere. I'm a rock. I'm a pillar. I'm standing strong. I'm staying right here. What a refreshing thing that is. These men, that they weren't only mighty men of valor, the Bible says they were strong men. Verse number nine, and Meshelamiah had sons and brethren, strong men, 18. They were strong. They were rocks. They were pillars. They weren't going anywhere. So the Bible tells us one more thing about these men this morning. We see not only were they mighty men of valor, they were leaders. We not only see that they were strong men, and that doesn't just mean that they were physically strong, that means they were spiritually strong. But in verse 8, the Bible tells us they were able men. Verse 8, all of those, the sons of Obed-Edom, they and their sons and their brethren, able men for strength for the service, were three score and two of Obed-Edom. So isn't that a fascinating thing? And, and, and uh, David, let me tell you what we need around the temple is we need some porters. And the porters have such an important job that, David, I'm going to dedicate an entire chapter in the Bible to the porters. And David said, okay, God, if that's what you want, that's what we'll do. And so David goes out among the people and David said, hey, I don't need singers. I've got plenty of those. David said, hey, you know, we've already got all the Levites we need. We have already have the high priests that we need. They're from the right families. We have all the politicians that we need. Those are going to come in the next chapter. We don't need any more princes. But you know what we do need is we need some men. We need some men, we need some mighty men of valor who are strong men, who are able men. And you know, and this is so critical and this is so important and also this is very New Testament right here. Let me tell you why, because when the Bible says that these are able men, what it means is these are men with ability. 
First Chronicles 9.13, And their brethren, the heads of the house of their fathers, a thousand seven hundred threescore, very able men for the work of the service of the house of God. God says, I have made some very able men to do service, where? At the house of God. Now I want you to notice, it did not say Solomon's temple. We hear that a lot. Oh, Solomon's temple, Solomon's temple. The Bible does not call it Solomon's temple. One time the Bible calls it the house that Solomon built, but it's not referred to in the word of God as Solomon's temple. It is referred to as the house of God. You know, there's something that, that, um, that people used to do many, many, many years ago, and maybe it'd be a good thing if we got back to doing it today, is they'd, run, they'd ride down the street in their car, and they'd look out their window, and they might see a, a Lutheran church, or a Presbyterian church, or a Methodist church, or they might even see a Baptist church, and they'd point at that building and say, that right there is the place that houses Chesbro Baptist Church. They wouldn't say that is Chesbro Baptist Church. They would say that's the place that houses Chesbro Baptist Church. And man, is that ever so the case today? Because let me tell you something, the building isn't a church. Why? Because the church is a body. The church is a body. Let me tell you something, they didn't guard the porters. They didn't guard Solomon's temple. They guarded the house. It's a house of God. It's always called God's house. You see, and God gave his porters, God gave his men abilities so they could serve God in the temple. You didn't need to sing to be a porter. You didn't need to do great sacrifices to be a porter. See why? Because he gave the porters other abilities. You know, when it comes to the church of God, God says much the same thing about his men, doesn't he? He does. You know, when God describes the New Testament church, he describes it as fitly framed together, almost, almost like a puzzle. He describes the church as a body, two hands, two, two feet, two hands, two eyes, two ears. That's what the church is. You've got, you've got the ears. They're always listening. You've got the two eyes that are always looking, always watching. You got the two feet that are always going and doing and going and running and doing. In the church, you got the two hands. You've always got somebody who's making or fixing or creating. And then in every church, you got the one big mouth. No, <laughs> but um, you always got that. But that's that. But that's what a church is. A church is a body of people. In other words. God has enabled you to do something special at Chesbro Baptist Church. Because it's what the porters did. It's who the porters were. And the Bible says that they were mighty men of valor. The Bible says they were strong men. And the Bible says they were very able men. Maybe somebody today, you've got an ability in finances. God did not give you that ability to hoard it to yourself. God gave you that ability to serve your local church. Maybe somebody in here, you've got an ability to fix things. God didn't give you that to hoard it to yourself. God 
has something for you to do in the local church. He has somewhere for you to serve. How great would it be if after the message today, somebody came up to this preacher and said, Preacher, I want to do something for God. Give me a job to do. And once somebody got done doing CPR on me, no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, uh, but wouldn't it just be great if somebody did that? Man, that would just be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Let me tell you something about porters. Porters one day will stand before God and they have the same ability as everybody else to hear him say the words, well done now, good and faithful servant. Let me tell you something. That's not just for the preachers. That's not just for the missionaries. That's not just for the evangelists. That's just not for the Bible teachers. Who that is for? That is for the laborer. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Man, David wanted to find mighty men of valor. David wanted to find strong men. David wanted to find very able men to be porters. You know, the kind of men that we need in Chesbro Baptist Church is we need mighty men of valor. We need men who are leaders. We need men who are strong, strong men that say, Brother Brett, I'm a rock, I'm a pillar, I'm not going anywhere, I don't care what wind of doctrine comes by, I don't care what's popular, I'm staying right here. And then we need men who are able because God has given every man an ability to serve the local church. But you know what? If you keep going in 1 Chronicles 26, not only does God tell us what he wants from his man, but he tells us where to put his man. Verse number 12. Among these were the divisions of the porters. So what he's going to do now is, is he's going to put these men where he wants them to serve. Even among the chief men, having wards one against another to minister in the house of the Lord. So guess what? The doorkeeper is a minister too. Isn't that interesting? You see, these porters and these gatekeepers had jobs to do. You see, around the temple, there were gates that led in and out of the temple. So what he's going to do is tell these porters, tell these men which gate they're going to be at. Verse 13, and they cast lots as well as the small and the great according to the house of their fathers for every gate. So how they did it in the Old Testament, and they, this might seem a little irrational to me and you, is they would cast lots to decide God's will. Now, you have to understand that seems a little sketch to me and you, but you understand we have something they didn't have. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Once we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit moves in us. He lives inside of us. The New Testament says we are, we are led, guided, and directed by the Holy Spirit, and this is something that the Old Testament saints did not have. And so this was God's plan for them to know his will in certain situations. So, so, so this was God's plan. And um, what we have is we have these families. 
So we have to decide where these families go. These family of porters. Are they going to go to the east gate? Are they going to go to the north gate? Are they going to go to the south gate? Or are they going to go to the west gate? Well, up until that, well, there's a verse like that in the Bible now. But up until that time, there was no verse in the Bible that says, hey, I want the Joneses family to go to the east gate. So you know what God wants to, so we know that God has a job for them to do, but now it's time to find out the specific will of God. In the Old Testament, like I said, they would cast lots. They would take a bag. Inside of this bag would be stones of roughly the same size. It changed over time. Sometimes there was a red stone or a different color stone that would be in the bag. Other times the stones would be numbered. But they would cast lots and that's how they would find out the will of God in certain situations. Now can you imagine these families coming by picking these stones for their jobs, you know they had to be more than a little nervous. You want to know why? Because there were some jobs that were better than others, let's just say. And uh, so what we have here is, so now it's time for their first one. It's time to pick the first family. Verse 14, and the lot eastward fell to Shelemiah. Well, what do you know? The Shelemiah family is going to guard the east gate. Now, let me tell you something. If you were going to guard one gate, the gate you wanted was the east gate. It was the pick of the crop. It was the king of the crop. This was the gate that when Solomon would build his palace on the east side, he would use the east gate to come into the temple. And so it became known as the king's gate. It became known as the golden gate. That was the gate that the kings used to go back and forth to the temple from the palace. It was the golden gate. It was the greatest gate of glory. It was the greatest gate of honor. You know, if you're ever in Jerusalem and you stand up on the Mount of Olives and you look towards Jerusalem, what you're going to find is you're going to look right on to the eastern gate. But here's another thing you're going to see. You see, a few centuries ago, the Muslims heard that through that gate, the Messiah is going to come. So you know what they did? They blocked it up. They put concrete blocks and they blocked up the eastern gate. They blocked up the golden gate to keep the Messiah from coming through. Not only that, but they took it a step further. And right in front of the eastern gate is a cemetery. And they said to themselves, you know what? The Messiah is not going to be able to go through this gate uh, because then he's going to defile himself. News bulletin number one. When you can say, let there be light and there is light, the molecular composition of a concrete block is not going to stop Jesus. Okay? News bulletin number two. When one of your many, many names is the resurrection and the life, a cemetery is not going to stop you either. It is not going to happen. It is not going to happen. Let me tell you something. One day through the eastern gate, one day through the golden gate, that gate that all the kings used, one day the king of kings and lord of lords, the Messiah himself will split the eastern sky. He will walk through that gate into Jerusalem. He will sit and he will rule this world from that throne. Man, this is a great gate. 
This is a kingly gate. This is a royal gate. They reached into the bag and pulled out the lot, and the lot fell on the Shelemiah family. You know what guarding the east gate is like? It's like guarding Buckingham Palace. You ever see those, those English guards with the big black hats and the red coat and they're and they don't move, and you can go pick their nose, and they just won't move. Well, no, they'll you do something like that, they'll hit you. But um, but they just won't move, and and they why? Because man, it's just such glory. It's just so honor to guard there. This was good news for the Shelemiah family, and the other families thought to themselves, "Well, you know what? The best job is gone, but there's still three more gates." Verse fourteen. Then for Zechariah, his son, a wise counselor, they cast lots, and his lot came out northward. So first you have the eastern gate. It's the kingly gate. It's the royal gate. It's the golden gate. It's the gate of all the honor, the gate of all the glory, the gate of the king. Well, if you weren't going to get the eastern gate, the consolation prize would be the northern gate. The reason why is because the northern gate was the gate of business. The northern gate was the gate of commerce. Because as you went through the northern gate, if you kept going, eventually what you'd get to was the Sea of Galilee. By the Sea of Galilee, that's where all the fishermen was. So that's where they put the marketplace. You had the marketplace. The marketplace is where they brought the fish. It's where they brought the food. It's where the farmers would bring their bring their crops, and all the business and all the commerce would take place at the northern gate. Man, if you couldn't be a guard at the eastern gate, you wanted to be at the northern gate because you got to rub a lot of elbows. A lot of people saw you at the northern gate. Oh yeah, every once in a while you'd have to settle some squabbles, and every once in a while you'd have to get rid of some troublemakers. You'd have to settle some disputes. But all in all, if you couldn't get the east gate, you wanted the northern gate. Okay, so that's two gates down. We've got two gates left. Let's continue in verse number 15. To Obed-Edom southward and to his sons, the house of Asuppam. So now the lot is cast for the southern gate. Now, this is a very incredibly important one. No, this gate doesn't have the regal glory of the eastern gate. And no, this doesn't have the rubbing the elbows of the northern gate. But let me tell you what this does have. You're not going to be seen by a lot of people at the southern gate. Why? Because the southern gate led to the house of a suppum. The house of a suppum was a storehouse. Like I said, very few people are going to go through this gate. Why? Because this, the house of a suppum, that is where they stored the loot. You might call it the bank. You know, there's an impressive story in the Bible where King David goes to Pastor Nathan and say, Hey, Pastor Nathan, I want to build the house of God. And Pastor Nathan says, Oh, yes, absolutely. I think that's a great idea. And Pastor Nathan went to sleep that night and God came to Pastor Nathan and said, uh, Nathan, next time you get ready to say something, you better ask me first because no, it's not okay. And so Pastor Nathan woke up the next day and came back to David and said, David, I'm sorry. God said that you're a man of war. You can't build 
the temple. Your son's going to build the temple. And you know something? It's very interesting. David didn't pout and David didn't sulk. And David said, well, I'm just going to pick up my ball and go home. And I'm going to quit and I'm going to go retire on the Riviera somewhere. And that's not what he said. What he said was, you know what? If I can't build the temple, then let me at least gather the materials for the temple. And that's exactly what David did. I want, you to, I want you to know that when you start running the numbers through Chronicles of what was in the house of a Suppum, what you're going to see, minus the jewels, minus the cedars, just in silver and gold alone, there were $200 B billion in just gold and silver. It was absolutely massive. So needless to say, the guards of Obed-Edom at the south gate, they had something very important to watch. They had an important job. Well, there's one gate left, verse number 16, to Suppam and Hosa, the lot came forth westward. So we have the Shelemiah family. They're going to guard the east gate. They're going to guard the, the king gate. We've got Zechariah. They're going to guard the rabble up at the north. We've got Obed-Edom. They're going to guard the gate at the south. But the Hosa family, ooh, the Hosa family, they guard the west gate. You know, if you read verse 16 very slowly in the middle of it, you're going to hear a groan. You're going to hear a groan because the western gate has another name. Now, the eastern gate is the golden gate. But you know what the western gate is called? It's called the dung gate. What a miserable job that had to be. Because, you see, there was a little causeway outside of the western gate, the dung gate, that led to the valley of Hinnon. Now, if you know anything about that, that was Israel's garbage dump, dump. But not only was it their garbage dump, it doubled as the sewer for the city. And man, the Hosa family might have said, man, why couldn't we have got the east gate with the kings? And why couldn't we have got the north gate with, with the commerce and the business? And why couldn't we have at least done an important job and guarded the bank? But we got to go guard the dung gate. What a miserable job that must have been. Talk about the short end of the stick. And so, verse, so now we got to ask, okay, how many people are going to guard these gates? Verse 16, eastward were six. So six is more than anybody else. Why? Because it's the king. We got to keep the king safe. Northward four days, southward four days, toward a supum two and two. So we got six to the east. We got four to north, four to south, and then two and two, four more at the house of a suppum, okay? And then we come to, get this, the most famous verse, scholarly-wise, in the Bible. This is the most famous verse for scholars in the Bible. It's verse number 18. Let's read it. At Parbar, Westford, four at the causeway, two at Parbar. What? I read that right. Let's read it again. At Parbar, Westward, Fort, the causeway, two at Parbar. I'm still lost. 
I still don't know where I'm at now. So here we have, we've got the guards. We got the four guards at the east gate. We got the four guards at the north gate. We got the four guards at the south gate. We've got two and two at the house of a supum. And then here, we, 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 what we've got, we've got four at the causeway. So that's the little road that led to the valley of Hinnon. It led to the garbage dump. It led to the sewer. And then two at Parbar. What in the world is a Parbar? You know, your version may say court or it may say something else, but you know what? Nobody knows what a par bar is. In fact, you know, the smartest people and the smartest scholars would scratch their heads and not know what a par bar was. In fact, what they did is, you know, sometimes God gives us words in the Bible and, uh, you know, we go to translate that words and we don't know what they are. So what they did here is they took a Hebrew word and they turned it into an English word. And that is where we get the term par bar from. And listen, for hundreds of years, nobody knew what a par bar was. Absolutely nobody did. And literally just a few years ago, literally just a few years ago, an ancient document was discovered. Indiana Jones, come to the rescue again. Uh, an ancient document was discovered that used the term in context. So while your Bible may say courts or something else, the word is parbar, and we did not know what it meant. But now they have found out. Now we know what a parbar is. Here's what a parbar is. The parbar is the king's restroom. I do believe you call that a royal flush. And uh, so here we have, you know, we we're going through, we're going through the gates and we've got the eastern gate. That's the king's gate. And we've got the northern gate and that's where the business is and the commerce is. And we got the southern gate and that's where the house of a supum is. That's where the, that's where the loot is. But then we got four people need to guard the dung gate and two people need to stand guard at the king's restroom. Let me ask you a question. What kind of people guard the eastern gate? Mighty men of valor who are strong men, who are able men. What kind of, of men guard the north gate where the marketplace is? Mighty men of valor, strong men, who are able men. What kind of man guards the southern gate where the, where the bank is? Mighty men of valor, who were strong men, who were able men. Who guards the par bar? Mighty men of valor, strong men, who were able men. Sometimes you get to serve the Lord and you get your out front. And you get all the recognition and everybody sees you. But most of the time, you're going to serve the Lord and nobody's going to know you're there. Nobody's going to see you. But somebody has to do the job that nobody else wants to do. Somebody has to do the job that nobody else thinks to do. Yes, yeah, sometimes you get to guard the eastern gate. But a lot of times you're going to be guarding the par bar. And my question to the men at Chesbro Baptist Church this morning is, who is willing to guard the par bar? 
Yes, God is looking for his man. He's looking for a mighty man of valor. He's looking for a strong man. He's looking for an able man. But whether it's the east, the north, the south, or whether it's the par bar, he says they all do the same thing. In verse 12 it says they are going to minister in the house of the Lord. Verse 30 says they're going to be in all the business of the Lord and in service of the king. Verse 32, they're going to do it for every matter pertaining to God and the affairs of the king. Hey, the men at the east gate are about the king's business. The men at the north gate are about the king's business. The men at the south gate are about the king's business. And the men at the par bar, they're about the king's business too. In a New Testament church, look at me, look at me. In a New Testament church, we have no shortage of people who want the glory. We have no shortage of people that want the praise. We have no shortage of people that want the recognition. But what God is looking for is he's looking for somebody who doesn't want a ribbon hung on their coat, on their coat, who is, doesn't need the applause of men, somebody who doesn't need a proverbial pat on the back. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Everybody can hear that. Mighty men of valor. Strong men, very able men. If it was good enough for David 2,500 years ago, and that's what it took to do the job, then that's what it takes to do the job at Chesbro Baptist Church today. So I got a question for you, man. Who's willing to guard the par bar? <laughs>